Well, hey, in case you're wondering, I wonder what the Weisses are up to during quarantine. I wonder how the Weisses are doing during quarantine. Let me tell you what level of quarantining we have reached. Last night on YouTube, Jalen found a workout video called Hip Hop Dance Fit. It was a 30-minute video of hip hop dancing fitness. And Jalen participated about 20 minutes of it. And if you're wondering what I looked like during that video, during her participation, here's what it looked like. It was 20 minutes of... So that's how we're doing during quarantine. And uh, over the last few weeks, I've been reminded several times by different people of, of two different things that I've said in sermons in the last year. The first one was last August, I said in a sermon called When Storms Come, I said that in the next year, every single one of us would have our faith tested in some way. Bingo. Every one of us has had our faith tested. I had no idea that this was coming, but knew that somewhere along the way, over the course of a year of life, every one of us has our faith tested. And then in January, I said that your faith isn't tested in church on a Sunday morning, but our faith is tested when life gets wild. Bingo. Life has gotten really wild, and all of us have had our faith tested in some way or another. And as today, as we begin a series called Easy to Say, I think what we all know that as Christians that when life gets hard, when our faith is tested, when life gets wild, there are some things that are really easy to say, almost little, about, little sound bites of faith. They're easy to say, but they're difficult to really fully grasp the, the fullness or the full depth of what we're actually saying. And because we struggle to grasp the full depth of what we're saying, we often struggle to actually personally believe it. It's easy to say, but difficult to personally believe. It's, it's easy to say, but difficult to personally embrace. And it's even more difficult to actually live these things out and put them into practice. Now, none of these things that are easy to say are, are necessarily wrong, but sometimes we've oversimplified and we've boiled them down to really small statements that don't quite mean what we think they mean, or they miss the point of what we're actually trying to say. In other words, we've boiled things down to sound bites, and the world that we live in is more complicated than a sound bite. And that's true all of the time. Which is why, as Christians, we sometimes have earned the reputation of being people who, who don't always live out what we say we believe. And that's true all of the time. But in this time, I think it's especially important for us to know what we mean when we say these things, so because, it, because of what it can do to our own faith. And I think it's incredibly important for us to understand what we're really saying, so that when we're possibly influencing or impacting the people around us who may not believe what we believe, we actually can make sense of what we say we believe. I think it's important because if we're not careful, we could end up looking like we have no idea and no comprehension of what's happening in the world around us, the pain that people are experiencing, the suffering that people are experiencing, the loneliness and anxiety that people are experiencing. And if we're not careful, we can end up with sound bites that don't actually answer anyone's questions. And we can end up with sound bites that make it appear that we have no real answers. And if the people of God have no real answers to the questions that, are people, that people are asking, it can end up appearing as if God has no answers for the things that people are experiencing. So I want to talk about these for a few weeks because I believe that God does have real answers. And I believe the real answers are oftentimes wrapped up in these sound bites. And if we're willing to push past the surface and scratch beneath the surface, we find that there's an amazing depth wrapped up in the small little things that are easy for us to say, but difficult for us to live out. And so the first one that I want to talk about today is this phrase, God is in control. 
God is in control. Matter of fact, just in case you haven't found yourself or someone around you saying that in the last couple weeks to remind yourself of something, let's all say that together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. God is in control. Let's try it one more time. God is in control. Yeah, there are a couple variations to this. Um, God is in control. Don't worry. God's got this. This is all part of God's plan, which by the way, makes it a little bit sound like God's kind of a jerk. This is part of God's plan. God wasn't surprised by this. This is one that I found myself saying a couple weeks ago. God wasn't surprised by any of this. He's got the whole world in his hands. Or my personal favorite, he's still got the whole world in his hands. Got to hit that still hard so that people know that even though circumstances have changed and gone disastrously bad, that God still has the whole world in his hands. And I, and I kind of make fun of that one, but if I'm being completely honest, um, this is something that I've been reminding myself over the last couple weeks and something that I've been saying to myself over the last couple weeks. God has the whole world in his hands. In fact, it got to the extent about a week and a half ago uh, at bedtime for Noble, our two and a half year old. Um, every, every night we read, to, we read a Bible story and then we sing a song and one's a fun song and one's kind of a Jesus song. And so um, we, I said, you ready to sing a song? And she said, yeah, daddy. And I said, you want to learn a new song? And she said, Oh, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to teach you a song. It's really important right now. It's called, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. And so I sang it. I said, He's got the whole world in his hands. And by the end, Noble's singing along with me, and she's screaming, He's got the whole world in his hands. And I'm sitting there, and as she's singing it and I'm singing it, I have this little tear run down my cheek, and my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, who has no idea what's going on in the world, has no idea that anything's really changed except for the fact that she doesn't get to see her friends as often as she would normally like to. She goes, what's wrong, Daddy? And I thought to myself, I'm just realizing that I didn't teach this song to you because you needed to hear it. I taught you this song because I needed to hear it. I needed to be reminded of the truth that God does still have the whole world in his hands, that God really is in control. And my daughter singing it and me singing it made me realize how, how much I needed to be reminded of that truth in this moment. And so I'm not knocking it. We say it to remind ourselves of truth that God really is in control. And we say it to try to bring comfort to ourselves and to try to bring comfort to others. See, the problem is, and the reason that I wanted to talk about this one first up, up, up in this series is that the, the phrase that we mean for comfort doesn't always bring the comfort that it intends to bring. Because when I say God is in control, I know what I mean by that. And when you say God is in control, you know what you mean by that. But when we say it to other people, other people don't always understand and always know what we mean when we say God is in control. And the phrase that's meant to bring comfort can end up meaning some very different things and can actually lead us to some very dark places. In the face of trying circumstances, God is in control can start to sound and feel like an accusation or like we're playing the blame game. So the phrase that was supposed to bring comfort to someone actually leads someone to a pretty dark place where they don't recognize God's presence and it can actually lead them to to get angry at God. So they go, wait, 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 if God is in control and this happened, are you saying God caused this to happen? Are you saying God is responsible for the coronavirus? Are you saying God's responsible for me losing my job and all this? Are you saying God's responsible for the tight financial spot that we find ourselves in right now? Are you saying God's responsible for the fact that I'm going to lose my business right now? And so we go, well, no, 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 no. God, I'm, I'm just saying God wasn't surprised by all this, which by the way, it makes God sound either really weak or really inattentive. Weak in that he saw it but couldn't do anything about it. Inattentive in that maybe he could have done something but didn't want to. And so people go, oh, so you're saying God saw all this coming and he didn't do anything to stop it. Cool. 
And let's be honest, if we take coronavirus out of the equation, this is real life, right? So God is in control. It doesn't bring a ton of immediate comfort in the face of a cancer diagnosis. God is in control doesn't bring in a ton of immediate comfort in the face of a teenage daughter standing in front of you saying that she's pregnant. God is in control doesn't bring a ton of immediate comfort when you've had your heart broken by someone that you thought you were going to marry. God is in control doesn't bring a ton of immediate comfort when you've just been handed a pink slip. And so this phrase, the soundbite, it doesn't always bring the comfort that we hope it will. Sometimes it actually leads people to a place of anger because life is more complicated than a soundbite. Sometimes the soundbite has the opposite effect. It leads people to blame God instead of recognize the presence of God. The other problem is something that this phrase can do to us who say it. I think it's possible that this phrase can actually lead us to a very passive version of faith. So here's what this looks like in everyday faith. Well, God's in control, so it doesn't matter how I live. God will do what God's going to do. Or maybe, well, God is in control, so if he wants someone to come to know him, he'll do his part and he'll make it happen. Or, you know what? God's in control, and so it doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter the decisions I make. God's going to protect me. I'm going to be okay. Or, you know what? God is in control, so it doesn't matter if I make good choices. God is in control. Here's what this could look like right now. God is in control, and so I don't really need to be generous towards people. If God wants people taken care of, God will take care of them. Now, here's the thing. I think a true understanding of the phrase that God is in control, here's my two cents. If we really understand what it means that God is in control, it won't lead us to a place of blame, but a place of entire life, fully devoted trust in God. And it won't lead us towards a passive life. It will actually lead us to live from the foundation that Jesus set, a life of action in the direction that God would have for us. So today I want to unpack the phrase God is in control because I think it means three really important things for the way we live life and especially the way we live life right now. Here's the first thing that I think it means when we say God is in control. It means that Jesus is the only lasting foundation for real living. Jesus is the only lasting foundation for real living. In Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, it says this, And now, Just as you accepted Christ Jesus, just as you willingly chose to accept Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Would you say follow him on the count of three? One, two, three, follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Jesus was the fullness of God in a human body. That's unbelievable and so hard to wrap our minds around. He says, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. He's the authority over every authority. And here's what this, what this passage teaches. You don't accept Christ's salvation just for the life to come. You also trust that his way is the best way in the life here and now. And a life that trusts his way is the best way. It follows his teaching and follow his examples actively. And so here's why I think this matters so much right now. I think there's a lot of us who feel like we've lost our way and we don't know what the right next step is. We're trying to figure out like, well, do I do this? Do I do this? Is it okay to do this? Do I do this? And we're worried that if we do the wrong thing, it can set us back for weeks, days, months, could set us back years. We're thinking like, well, if if I do or if the government or whoever, if my family does the wrong thing, we lose and we lose big. And so there's a part of us that just thinks, well, 
I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to hope that someday it becomes magically clear what we're supposed to do or that someone tells me exactly what I'm supposed to do. And so we choose paralysis. We choose passivity. We choose, I'm going to sit back and wait and hope that someday it becomes perfectly clear what we're supposed to do. And if you're waiting for someone to tell you what you're supposed to do, let me be that person. Here's what I know. Following Jesus is always the right next step. See, Jesus, when you look at the life of Jesus and the example that Jesus set, Jesus walked the the earth for 33 and a half years as a human man. His entire life from the age of 30 to 33 and a half was recorded for us. And when you see Jesus, Jesus trusted God fully. He fully trusted that God was in control, and yet he was almost never passive. Even when we look and go, well, he's being kind of passive there. He was actively being passive, if that's possible. He was actively being passive. Following Jesus is always the right next step. That when you wonder what to do and when I wonder what to do, we can always follow Jesus. We can always follow Jesus' teaching. We can always follow Jesus' example. See, Jesus taught to forgive, to carry hurts very short, and to forgive very quickly. And your life is too short to carry hurts and offenses for long. And you may not know what to do right now in relation to the coronavirus, but I guarantee you have someone in your life that you have maybe been carrying something around that they did in the past and it's caused hurt in the relationship, hurt in the relationship, a divide in the relationship. And right now just might be the perfect time for you to figure out how to truly forgive and let it go so that the relationship can be restored. Jesus taught self-sacrifice, to give of ourselves so that someone would have their needs met and know the love of God through the people of God. And you may not know what this looks like all the time, but I guarantee you right now in your life, in your sphere of influence, there's someone that you know that needs help, that has a need and you can meet it. It may be a monetary need. It may be a grocery need. It may be a toilet paper need. It may be a Zoom style community and companionship need. It may be a, little, a friendly face, you know, standing out in the, law, in the yard saying, hey, need. I don't know what the need is, but I guarantee somewhere in your life right now, there's an opportunity for you to give of yourself in a way that meets the need of someone else. Jesus taught that blessed are the peacemakers. In the coming weeks and months, well, let me tell you what I know. There's going to be a lot of opportunities and plenty of opinions and plenty of opportunities for you to share your opinion and make your opinion known. There will also be plenty of opportunities for you to condemn the opinions of people who don't agree with your opinions. But Jesus didn't tell us, blessed are the people who condemn the opinions of people who disagree with their opinion. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So what if we decided in the next few weeks where there's going to be so many opportunities for us to share our opinions, judge the opinions of others, what if we decided to follow Jesus? And when we have the opportunity to sow division or sow peace, we choose peace. What if we decided to be people, hey, I can have an opinion and I don't need to share it with everyone. If it causes division, I don't need to share it right now because blessed are the peacemakers. Following Jesus is always the right step. And so if you're wondering what the next step is for you right now, if you're trying to figure out and you feel like you're paralyzed, you feel like you have to be passive, you feel like you're sitting around waiting for it to become clear what you're supposed to do, look to Jesus. Jesus has a step for you. And he's the only lasting foundation for real living. God is in control. Jesus is the only foundation for, that lasts for real life. 
And so following him is always the right next step. Here's the second thing I think it means when we say God is in control. It means that God will use this for good. And if I'm being honest, when I started to write this down, everything in me wanted to elongate that phrase and put an if statement on there. You know, God will use this for good if we'll be faithful. And God will use this for good if we'll be generous. And God will use this for, for good if we'll be willing to sacrifice and if we'll keep our eyes open for opportunities to do good things for God. God will use this for good if. Everything in me wanted to make it conditional on, based on me based on my actions, based on your actions, based on our actions. Everything in me wanted to make this conditional. And when I was praying and, and, and thinking about what, what, what I was supposed to say here, I just came to the, the realization and God said to me, you know what, if you make it conditional, it's not about God's character, it's about your character. It's about my character. But this is ultimately about God's character. This is about the goodness of God. And so it doesn't revolve around my goodness the ability for God to bring good out of this revolves around God's goodness. See, in Romans chapter 8, Paul wrote this incredible verse that many of us have heard. In fact, if, even if you're not a church person, you've heard this at some point quoted by someone. Here's what he said. And we know that God causes everything. Would you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Everything. Everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Everything. Everything. Can we say it one more time together? Everything. And everything includes this thing. And everything will include the next thing. It includes the things where, that we see as good in the moment, and it includes the things that we see as negatives in the moment. It includes the good news things, and it includes the worst case news things. It includes your jaw-droppingly good things, and it includes your life just got devastated and wrecked things. It includes pandemic things. Everything includes this thing. And see, I don't, always, I don't know how God is going to use this for good, and I don't know necessarily when God will show us how he's used this for good, but I want to share two thoughts that have kind of brought me some clarity and brought me some peace over the last couple of weeks. First of all, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to um, a Stephen Furtick sermon, and he was mentioning that his, uh, a conversation he had with one of his sons, and he said his son asked, well, why don't we see miracles today like people saw in the Bible? Why don't we see those things like people saw in the Bible? Um, why don't we see God active in that sort of way? And he told his son, he said, he used a word that we have all become very accustomed to right now. He used the word distance. He said, what we see as miracles, we see them as miracles because we have distance from what was happening. And he explained to his son that what often happened that we perceive as miracles today, when they were happening, people did not experience them or perceive them as miracles. Often they perceived them as the worst case things that could possibly happen. Let me give you a couple examples. Joseph in the Old Testament he was sold by his brothers into slavery. And right there, you think that's the worst thing that could possibly happen. And while he's in slavery in the nation of Egypt, he's accused of something that he did not do. And he's thrown in Pharaoh's dungeon and people did not get out of Pharaoh's dungeon. This is the worst case scenario that could possibly happen. And yet in a moment, God took Joseph from the prison cell to second in command in Egypt, essentially the throne of Egypt. And a couple years later, his brothers who sold him into slavery come to Egypt to buy food because of the famine that's spread throughout the, the entire region. And Joseph, when, when, they, when they realize and they have this realization of, oh my gosh, the man who's going to decide our future is the man that we sold into slavery. Joseph says, no, 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 don't be afraid. What you meant for evil, God meant and intended for good. 
didn't realize it in the moment, but years, years later with the years and years that come with perspective, he sees what God was up to. The 10 plagues that God brought in the land of Egypt, everyone in Egypt suffered. Even the nation of Israel in their land that didn't suffer the consequences in their specific land, all their neighbors suffered. Everyone financially suffered. They suffered right along with everyone else. They suffered. And it's only with the perspective of having crossed the Red Sea that they can look back and go, Oh, that time of incredible suffering, it was actually the hand of God at work. It was a miracle. King David, he's anointed as a young man, and then he's chased around for over a decade by a a madman king intending to kill him and bring him harm and end the story of King David. I mean, it's just this story that, that you, when you see it from, the, from a distance, you go, okay, I guess I could see how God worked that out for good. But in the moment, King David's going, I'm on the run for my life. I'm on the run for my life. I actually have to even run into the arms of the enemies to spare my own life. But God used that season. When we look back with distance, we go, okay, God used that season to help David understand what it looks like when power is abused. And hopefully he would never do that. See, there are certain things and there are times where we have to understand there is some good we will only see with some distance. So there's some good that will come out of this season. It may take a year. It may take three years. It may take seven years for us to look back. But I promise at some point we will look back and go, ah, that's what God was doing in this time. That's what God was doing at this time. At the same time, sometimes there are moments, these moments are actually answers to prayers that people prayed, but they didn't see this coming and they didn't see this as a possible answer to their prayers. I have a friend named Matt Brown who I went to college with and right out of college, Matt Brown started an organization called Think Eternity. And what Think Eternity does and what Matt does with his, with his company is he works with um, evangelists and pastors all across the country to coordinate and focus evangelistic outreaches and opportunities to reach people outside the walls of the church with the gospel and to introduce people to Jesus. And so Matt, in, in November and December of last year, Matt starts posting on Twitter about something that he and his organization and a bunch of different people were calling the Roaring Twenties Fast. And it was a call that he and a bunch of other young pastors were making to call 100,000 people in their 20s to pray and fast for a move of God in the, in the coming decade, that God would move in unprecedented ways in the 2020s. And, 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 that was, and that was amazing, and that was fascinating. But one of the things that I specifically remember seeing, and I remembered this about two weeks ago, I remembered seeing him post that one of the specific prayer focuses was that they were praying that God would raise up in the next 10 years 10,000 digital Billy Grahams. And the reasoning was that they believed that over the next decade, it would become more and more a reality that the best place for, to reach people who didn't know Jesus would not be in a church, but would be in digital spaces. Let me say that again. They believed that the best place to reach people would be in digital spaces. Now, today, I believe the statistic I, I saw most recently is that 87% of churches have gone online. There's something like 4% of churches have continued to hold services and 9% of churches haven't been able to figure out how to move online so they are just not meeting right now in in any kind of way for services. But 87% of churches are online meeting in digital spaces, reaching people with the gospel that may have never connected with the and walked into the doors of a church. Now, I'm not saying my friend Matt is solely responsible for the coronavirus. Not saying that. 
But here's what I am saying. God is certainly up to something right now. And God is extending the reach of churches to people and to places that wouldn't or haven't stepped foot in church in a long time. Let me give you an example of this. Two weeks ago was Easter Sunday. And in our church, in the four years that we've that we've existed as a church. We've had four Easter Sundays last week or two weeks ago was our fifth. And the highest that we've ever had attendance on an Easter Sunday was last year. We had about 270, might, be, might have been 275 people. I don't remember exactly how many people who joined us in our, our physical space for a Sunday morning experience. And that was awesome. I mean, it, was, it was incredible last year. But this year with our online church experience for Easter, we have seen over 600 all the way through plays of our Easter experience. And only like 300 of those were my mom. Now, what, no, I'm just kidding. What's cool about that is like, think about this. 600 people have watched all the way through our online Easter experience. Last year, 270. This year, over 600. On top of that, there's another 500 people who have at least watched 10 minutes, but may not have watched the entirety of the, of the experience. And 1,500 more people who have viewed some portion over a minute long of our Easter experience. I'm just saying, God is up to something right now. God is moving in the hearts of people that may not have ever set foot in a church, but are willing to enter a digital space to hear about the love of God. God is up to something right now. And I don't know how, and I don't know when we'll see all of the goodness of God, but I guarantee that God is in control, so he will bring good out of this. And here's the final thing that I know this means when we say God is in control. God is in control, so I can be full of hope while acknowledging my fear. Isaiah 41 was written to the people of Israel in the middle of their exile, people who had lost everything and did not know what the future held. They didn't know if they would ever return to life as they knew it. They didn't know if they would ever see their cities again. They didn't know when they would or if they would see some of their family again. Any of this sound familiar? And so they had reason to be afraid, but God spoke through the prophet Isaiah to them. And I think his words echo to us today. And starting in verse 9 of Isaiah 41, it says this, I have called you back from the ends of the earth, saying, You are my servant, for I have chosen you, and this is so beautiful, and I will not throw you away. If you feel discarded by God, or like God has thrown you to the curb in this moment, God doesn't throw his people away. Verse 10, it says this, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Here's the message. Circumstances have given you reason to fear, but God is with you, so don't lose hope. Circumstances have given you reason to be discouraged, but I'm your God. Don't lose hope. Circumstances have given you reason to feel weak, but I'm your God and I'll provide you strength. Circumstances have given you reason to feel defeated, but I'm the God of victory, so don't give up. So here's the message today. The level of our hope is not determined by our circumstances. The level of our hope is determined by the character of our God. Let me say that again in case you're taking notes and you want to write it down or, or in case you're writing it down because you want to get it tattooed on your body later. The level of our hope is not determined by our circumstances. The level of our hope is determined by the character of our God. 
I don't look at the world around me and say, well, circumstances are this and that determines my hope and the circumstances over here look pretty bad and that determines my hope. No, my, circ- my level of hope is not determined by my fan- financial circumstances, my relational circumstances, how often I can leave the house, how often I can go to Walmart, how good everything seems around me. My hope is not based on any of those things. My hope is based on the character of, of my God who does not change. He is the God of hope. He's the God of life. He's the God of peace. He's the God of forgiveness. He's the God of grace. He's the God of strength. He's the God of victory. Those things have not changed. And since that hasn't changed, my hope does not change. Now, on that note for a second, I I feel like I've I've seen some posts coming up on Facebook and Instagram and really just all over the place over the last couple weeks, you know, basically to the effect of, you know, we need to reopen everything because if we don't, suicide rates will go through the roof and domestic abuse and domestic violence rates will skyrocket and alcohol abuse and drug abuse is going to, is going to, you know, multiply and, and go all over the place. And, 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 and I, and I, I, I want to be gentle here because I, I understand where that comes from. I understand where that comes from. And I understand the sentiment. We feel like circumstances need to change in order to keep people safe. Like, like I get that feeling. At the same time, there's something else I know. When we say stuff like that, it says something about what we believe about the future. That if circumstances don't change, it's a foregone conclusion that people will die, that people will hurt each other, that people will turn to bottles and people will turn to pills. And let me just say something that I know and that I believe personally that I would love for us to embody and to embrace as a church. We do not believe in the God of foregone conclusions. We believe in the God of the impossible. We believe in the God of the improbable. We believe in the God who rescues and restores. We believe in the God who protects and provides. We do not believe in the God of the foregone conclusion. We believe in the God of the impossible. And so it may seem probable that people will turn to pills and people will hurt each other and people will hurt themselves. But I believe, and I just fully believe this with my whole heart, that God can protect people and that God can care for people and God can provide for people and God can provide a way out for people so they don't hurt themselves or hurt other people around them. I believe that while it seems probable, it's not, it's not impossible for God. And so if I could, for some of us, all I'm saying is simply this, that the way we talk about life reveals what we believe about God. So let's speak full of hope. Let's speak full of encouragement. Let's let our Facebook and our Instagram feeds be full of life, full of encouragement, full of hope, so that people know we believe in a God who is capable of far more than we think, far more than we see. That when we see hopeless, we still believe full hope of hope because God is still in control. And so at the same time, if I could also talk to some people, if you're losing hope and you feel like the only, the only hope that you have found is in a bottle of pills or at the bottom of a bottle of alcohol or at the bottom of a bottle of tequila or vodka, let me just say this, you will not find hope there. You will only find hope in Jesus. The good news is that you can meet him right now. You can meet him today. You can experience salvation in a moment and you can experience the peace that God has and that God reveals to you over a lifetime. If you're losing patience and you feel like taking it out on your kids or your spouse, please take a walk instead. Please take a walk instead. And while you're on that walk, ask God to meet you where you are and fill you with patience and strength. Also, 
know that you're not alone. On screen right now, there's a phone number that you can call day or night, and you can have someone who will tell you that you are not alone and who will pray with you for patience and strength. And if you feel alone and you've lost hope and you think the only way out is to take yourself out, please stay. Please stay. Please call out to God and ask him to show you Jesus, and you'll find hope and peace today. And please call that number that's on screen and pray with someone who will remind you that you are not alone. See, here's what I believe. I know that God is in control. I know that God is in control. And because I know God is in control, I've decided to build my life on the foundation of Jesus. And I've decided that whenever life throws me a situation where I don't know the next step, I simply follow Jesus because following Jesus is always the right first step. I know that God is in control. So I know that in this moment, I know that somehow out of this moment, God will bring good. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I trust that he will. And because God is in control, I can be full of hope even when circumstances would cause me to be full of fear because I don't believe in the God of of foregone conclusions. I believe in the God of the impossible. See, God is in control. It's easy to say. It's even better to know what it really means and it's even better to live it out. God is in control. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this truth. God, thank you for the soundbite. God, thank you that for moments where we need something to reassure our own hearts and our own minds, thank you for the soundbite that you are in control. Sometimes that's all we need. But God, I thank you that it's even better than the soundbite. I thank you that you're in control and so we can build our lives on the foundation of your son. Thank you that when Jesus came out of the grave, it was crystal clear once and for all that you were fully in control of the events of our world. God, thank you that we can build our life on that foundation and we can be people who don't get stuck, but we can be people who follow you every day for the rest of our lives. God, thank you that you are in control so we know that you will bring good out of a situation that right now we don't see as good. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that we can know that you will bring good out of it and someday we will see it, even if we don't see it right now. And God, thank you that you're in control and that because you're in control, we can lean into your character and who you are and we can have hope even when there's reason to be afraid, even when there's reason to feel defeated, even when there's reason to feel weak, we can know that you're with us and you don't fail. So God, thank you that we can know you. Thank you that we can trust that you are in control. Help us to embrace that. Help us to believe it. And most importantly, help us to live every day like that's true. We love you, God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.